A jet of silver light hit Malfoy in the stomach, and he doubled up, wheezing. I said, disarm only, Lockhart shouted in alarm. As Malfoy sank to his knees, Harry had hit him with a tickling charm, and he could barely move for laughing. Harry hung back, with a vague feeling it would be unsporting to bewitch Malfoy while he was on the floor. But this was a mistake. Gasping for breath, Malfoy pointed his wand at Harry's knees, choked, Tarantalegra! And the next second, Harry's legs began to jerk around out of his control in a kind of quick step. Stop! Stop! screamed Lockhart. But Snape took charge. Finit and cantatum! he shouted. Harry's feet stopped dancing. Malfoy stopped laughing. And they were able to look up. A haze of greenish smoke was hovering over the scene. Both Neville and Justin were lying on the floor, panting. Ron was holding up an ashen-faced Seamus, apologizing for whatever his broken wand had done. But Hermione and Millicent Balstrode were still moving. Millicent had Hermione in a headlock, and Hermione was whimpering in pain. Both their wands lay forgotten on the floor. Harry leapt forward and pulled Millicent off. It was difficult. She was a lot bigger than he was. Dear... Dear, said Lockhart, skittering through the crowd, looking at the aftermath of the duels. Up you go, Macmillan. Careful there, Miss Fawcett. Pinch it hard. It'll stop bleeding in a second, Boot. I think I'd better teach you how to block unfriendly spells, said Lockhart. Standing flustered in the mist of the hall, he glanced at Snape, whose black eyes glinted, and looked quickly away. Let's have a volunteer pair. Longbottom and Finch Fletchley, how about you? A bad idea, Professor Lockhart, said Snape, gliding over like a large and malevolent bat. Longbottom, Longbottom causes devastation with the simplest spells. We'll be sending what's left of Finch Fletchley up to the hospital wing in a matchbox. Neville's round, pink face went pinker. How about Malfoy and Potter, said Snape, with a twisted smile. Excellent idea, said Lockhart gesturing Harry and Malfoy into the middle of the hall as the crowd backed away to give them room. Now, Harry, said Lockhart, when Draco points his wand at you, you do this. He raised his own wand, attempted a complicated sort of wiggling action, and dropped it. Snape smirked as Lockhart quickly picked it up, saying, Oops, my wand is a little overexcited. Snape moved closer to Malfoy, bent down, and whispered something in his ear. Malfoy smirked, too. Harry looked up nervously at Lockhart and said, Professor, could you show me that blocking thing again? Scared, muttered Malfoy, so that Lockhart couldn't hear him. You wish, said Harry, out of the corner of his mouth. Lockhart cuffed Harry merrily on the shoulder. Just do what I did, Harry. What? Drop my wand? But Lockhart wasn't listening. Three, two, one, go, he shouted. Malfoy raised his wand quickly and bellowed, Serpensortia! The end of his wand exploded. Harry watched, aghast, as a long black snake shot out of it, fell heavily onto the floor between them, and raised itself, ready to strike. There were screams as the crowd backed swiftly away, clearing the floor. Don't move, Potter, said Snape lazily. 
clearly enjoying the sight of Harry standing motionless, eye to eye with the angry snake. I'll get rid of it. Allow me, shouted Lockhart. He brandished his wand at the snake, and there was a loud bang. Huck, I'm finding that very distracting, because it's the kind of word I have to keep an eye on, okay? The snake, instead of vanishing, flew ten feet in the air and fell back to the floor with a loud smack, enraged, hissing furiously. It slithered straight toward Justin Flinch Fletchley and raised itself again, fangs exposed, ready to strike. Harry wasn't sure what made him do it. He wasn't even aware of deciding to do it. All he knew was that his legs were carrying him forward, as though he was on casters, and that he had shouted stupidly at the snake, Leave him alone! And miraculously, inexplicably, the snake slumped to the floor, docile as a thick black garden hose, its eyes now on Harry. Harry felt the fear drain out of him. He knew the snake wouldn't attack anyone now. Though how he knew it, he couldn't explain. He looked up at Justin, grinning, expecting to see Justin looking relieved or puzzled or even grateful, but certainly not angry and scared. What do you think you're playing at? he shouted. And before Harry could say anything, Justin had turned and stormed out of the hall. Snape stepped forward, waved his wand, and the snake vanished in a small puff of black smoke. Snape, too, was looking at Harry in an unexpected way. It was a shrewd and calculating look, and Harry didn't like it. He was only dimly aware of an ominous muttering all around the walls. Then he felt a tugging on the back of his robes. Come on, said Ron's voice in his ear. Move, come on. Ron steered him out of the hall and Hermione hurrying alongside him. As they went through the doors, the people on either side drew away as though they were frightened of catching something. Harry didn't have a clue what was going on, and neither Ron nor Hermione explained anything until they had dragged him all the way up to the empty Gryffindor common room. Then Ron pushed Harry into an armchair and said, You're a parcel mouth! Why didn't you tell us? I'm a what? said Harry. A parcel mouth, said Ron. You can talk to snakes. I know, said Harry. I mean, that's only the second time I've ever done it. I accidentally sent, set a boa constrictor on my cousin Dudley at the zoo once. Long story. But it was telling me I'd never seen Brazil, and I sort of set it free without meaning to. That was before I knew I was a wizard. A boa constrictor told you it had never seen Brazil? Ron repeated. So, said Harry, I bet loads of people here can do it. Oh, no, they can't, said Ron. It's not a very common gift. Harry, this is bad. What's bad, said Harry, starting to feel quite angry. What's wrong with everyone? Listen, if I hadn't told that snake not to attack Justin. Oh, that's what you said to it? What do you mean? You were there. You heard me. I heard you speaking parcel tongue, said Ron. Snake language. You could have been saying anything. No wonder Justin panicked. You sounded like you were egging the snake on or something. 
It was creepy, you know? Harry gaped at him. I spoke a different language? But I didn't realize. How can I speak a different language and not know that I can speak it? Ron shook his head. Both he and Hermione were looking as though someone had died. Harry couldn't see what was so terrible. Do you want to tell me what's wrong with stopping a massive snake biting off Justin's head? What does it matter how I did it, as long as Justin doesn't have to join the headless hunt? It matters, said Hermione, speaking at last in a hushed voice, because being able to talk to snakes was what Salazar Slytherin was famous for. That's why the symbol of the Slytherin house is a serpent. Harry's mouth fell open. Exactly, said Ron. And now the whole school is going to think you're his great-great-great-grandson or something. But I'm not, said Harry with a panic he couldn't quite explain. You'll find that hard to prove, said Hermione. He lived about a thousand years ago. For all we know, you could be. Harry lay awake for hours that night. Through a gap in the curtains around his four-poster, he watched snow starting to drift past the tower window and wondered, could he be a descendant of Salazar Slytherin? He didn't know anything about his father's family after all. The Dursleys had always forbidden questions about his wizarding relatives. Quietly, Harry tried to say something in Parseltongue. The words wouldn't come. It seemed he had to be face to face with a snake to do it. But I'm in Gryffindor, Harry thought. The sorting hat wouldn't have put me in here if I had Slytherin blood. Said a nasty little voice in his brain. But the sorting hat wanted to put you in Slytherin. Don't you remember? Harry turned over. He'd see Justin the next day in Herbology, and he'd explain that he'd been calling the snake off, not egging it on. Which, he thought angrily, pummeling his pillow. Any fool should have realized. By next morning, however, the snow that had begun in the night had turned into a blizzard so thick that the last Herbology lesson of the term was canceled. Professor Sprout wanted to fit socks and scarves on the mandrakes, a tricky operation she would entrust to no one else now that it was so important for the mandrakes to grow quickly and revive Mrs. Norris and Colin Creevy. Harry fretted about this next to the fire in the Gryffindor common room, while Ron and Hermione used their time off to play a game of wizard chest. For heaven's sake, Harry, said Hermione, exasperated as one of Ron's bishops wrestled her knight off his horse and dragged him off the board. Go and find Justin if it's so important to you. So Harry got up and left through the portrait hole wondering where Justin might be. The castle was darker than it usually was in the daytime because of the thick, swirling gray snow at every window. Shivering, Harry walked past classrooms where lessons were taking place, catching snatches of what was happening within. Professor McGonagall was shouting at someone who, by the sound of it, had turned his friend into a badger. Resisting the urge to take a look, Harry walked on by, thinking that Justin might be using his free time to catch up on some work and decided to check the library first. A group of Hufflepuffs, who should have been in Herbology, were indeed sitting at the back of the library, but they didn't seem to be working. Between the long lines of high bookshelves, Harry could see that their heads were close together, 
and they were having what looked like an absorbing conversation. He couldn't see whether Justin was among them. He was walking toward them when something of what they were saying met his ears, and he paused to listen, hidden in the invisibility section. So anyway, a stout boy was saying, I told Justin to hide up in our dormitory. I mean to say, if Potter's marked him down as his next victim, it's best if he keeps a low profile for a while. Of course, Justin's been waiting for something like this to happen, ever since he let it slip to Potter that he's muggle-born. Justin actually told him he'd been down for Eaton. That's not the kind of thing you bandy about with Slytherin's air on the loose, is it? You definitely think it is, Potter, then, Ernie, said a girl with blonde pigtails anxiously. Hannah, said the stout boy solemnly. He's a parcel mouth. Everyone knows that's the mark of a dark wizard. Have you ever heard of one decent parcel mouth who could talk, or heard of one decent wizard who could talk to snakes? They called Slytherin himself Serpent Tongue. There was some heavy murmuring at this, and Ernie went on. Remember what was written on the wall? Enemies of the air, beware. Potter had some sort of run-in with Filch. Next thing we know, Filch's cats attacked. That first year, Creevy was annoying Potter at the Quidditch match, taking pictures of him while he was lying in the mud. Next thing we know, Creevy's been attacked. He always seems so nice, though, said Hannah, uncertainly. And, well, he's the one who made you-know-who disappear. He can't be all bad, can he? Ernie lowered his voice mysteriously. The Hufflepuffs bent closer. Harry edged nearer so he could catch Ernie's words. No one knows how he has survived that attack by you-know-who. I mean to say, he was only a baby when it happened. He should have been blasted into smithereens. Only a really powerful, dark wizard could have survived something like that. He dropped his voice until it was barely more than a whisper and said, That's probably why another dark lord came after him. You know who didn't want someone competing with him. I wonder what other powers has Potter been hiding? Harry couldn't take it anymore. Clearing his throat loudly, he stepped out from behind the bookshelves. If he hadn't been feeling so angry, he would have found the sight that greeted him funny. Every one of the Hufflepuffs looked as though they had been petrified by the sight of him, and the color was draining out of Ernie's face. Hello, said Harry. I'm looking for Justin Finch Felchie. The Hufflepuffs' worst fears had clearly been confirmed. They all looked fearfully at Ernie. What do you want with him? Said Ernie in a quavering voice. I wanted to tell him what really happened with that snake at the dueling club, said Harry. Ernie bit his lips, then taking a deep breath said, We were all there. We saw what happened. Then you noticed that after I spoke to it, the snake backed off, said Harry. All I saw, said Ernie stubbornly, though he was trembling as he spoke, was you speaking Parfleton and chasing the snake toward Justin. I didn't chase it at him, said Harry, his voice shaking with anger. I didn't even, t I didn't even touch him. It was a very near miss, said Ernie. And in case you're getting ideas, he added hastily, 
I might tell you that you can trace my family back through nine generations of witches and warlocks, and my blood's as pure as anybody, so... I don't care what sort of blood you've got, said Harry fiercely. Why would I want to attack Muggleborns? I've heard you hate those muggles you live with, said Ernie swiftly. It's not possible to live with the Dursleys and like them, said Harry. I'd like to see you try it. He turned on his heel and stormed out of the library, earning himself a reproving glare from Madame Pince, who was polishing the gilded cover of a large spellbook. Harry blundered up the corridor, barely noticing where he was going he was in such a fury. The result was he walked into something very large and solid, which knocked him backward onto the floor. Oh, hello, Hagrid, said Harry, looking up. Hagrid's face was entirely hidden by a woolly, snow-covered balaclava. But it couldn't possibly be anyone else, as he filled most of the corridor with his moleskin overcoat. A dead rooster was hanging from one of his massive, gloved hands. All right, Harry, he said, pulling up the balaclava so he could speak. Why aren't you in class? Cancelled, said Harry, getting up. What are you doing in here? Hagrid held up the limp rooster. Second one killed this term, he explained. It's either foxes or a blood-sucking bugbear, and I need the headmaster's permission to put a charm around the hen coop. He peered more closely at Harry from under his thick, snow-flecked eyebrows. You sure you're all right? You look all hot and bothered. Harry couldn't bring himself to repeat what Ernie and the rest of the Hufflepuffs had been saying about him. It's nothing, he said. I better get going, Hagrid. It's Transfiguration next, and I've got to pick up my books. He walked off, his mind still full of what Ernie had said about him. Justin's been waiting for something like this to happen ever since he let slip to Potter he was muggle-born. Harry stamped up the stairs and turned along another corridor, which was particularly dark. The torches had been extinguished by a strong, icy draft that was blowing through a loose windowpane. He was halfway down the passage when he tripped headlong over something lying on the floor. He turned to squint at what he'd fallen over and felt as though his stomach had dissolved. Justin Finch Fletchley was lying on the floor. Rigid, cold, a look of shock frozen on his face. His eyes staring blankly at the ceiling. And that was it all. Next to him was another figure, the strangest sight Harry had ever seen. It was nearly headless Nick, no longer pearly white and transparent, but black and smoky, floating immobile and horizontal, six inches off the floor. His head was half off, and his face wore an expression of shock, identical to Justin's. Harry got to his feet, his breathing fast and shallow, his heart doing a kind of drum roll against his ribs. He looked wildly up and down the deserted corridor and saw a line of spiders scuttling as fast as they could away from the bodies. The only sounds were the muffled voices of teachers from the classes on either side. He could run. No one would even know he had been there. But he couldn't just leave them lying there. He had to get help. Would anyone believe he hadn't had anything to do with this? As he stood there panicking, a door right next to him opened with a bang. Peeves, the poltergeist, came shooting out. Why? 
there, cackled Peeves, knocking Harry's glasses askew as he bounced past him. What's Potter up to? Why is Potter lurking? Peeves stood, halfway through the midair, through a midair somersault. Upside down, he spotted Justin, a nearly headless Nick. He flipped the right way up, filled his lungs, and before Harry could stop him, screamed, Attack! Attack! Another attack! Nor mortal, no mortal or ghost is safe! Run for your lives! Attack! Crash! 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 Door after door flew open along the corridor and people flooded out. For several long minutes, there was a scene of such confusion that Justin was in danger of being squashed and people kept standing and nearly headless Nick. Harry found himself pinned against the wall as teachers shouted for quiet. Professor McGonagall came running, followed by her own class, one of whom still had black and white striped hair. She used her wand to set off a loud bang which restored silence and ordered everyone back into their classes. No sooner had the scene cleared somewhat than Ernie the Hufflepuff arrived, panting on the scene. Caught in the act, Ernie yelled, his face stark white, pointing his finger dramatically at Harry. That'll do, Macmillan, said Professor McGonagall sharply. Peeves was bobbing overhead, now grinning wickedly, surveying the scene. Peeves always loved chaos. As the teachers bent over Justin and nearly headless Nick examining them, Peeves broke into song. Oh, Potter, you rotter, what have you done? You're killing off students, you think it's good fun. That's enough, Peeves, barked Professor McGonagall. And Peeves zoomed away backwards with his tongue out at Harry. Justin was carried up to the hospital wing by Professor Flitwick and Professor Sinistra of the astronomy department. But nobody seemed to know what to do for nearly headless Nick. In the end, Professor McGonagall conjured a large fan out of thin air, which she gave to Ernie with instructions to waft nearly headless Nick up the stairs. This Ernie did, fanning Nick along like a silent black hovercraft. This left Harry and Professor McGonagall alone together. This way, Potter, she said. Professor, said Harry at once, I swear I didn't. This is out of my hands, Potter, said Professor McGonagall curtly. They marched in silence around a corner, and she stopped before a large and extremely ugly stone gargoyle. Lemon drop, she said. This was evidently a password because the gargoyle sprang suddenly to life and hopped aside as the wall behind him split into two. Even full of dread for what was coming, Harry couldn't fail to be amazed. Behind the wall was a spiral staircase that moved smoothly upward, like an escalator. As he and Professor McGonagall stepped into it, Harry heard the wall thud closed behind him. They rose upward in circles, higher and higher, until at last, slightly dizzy, Harry saw a gleaming oak door ahead, with a brass knocker in the shape of a griffin. He knew now where he was being taken. This must be where Dumbledore lived. Chapter 12, The Polyjuice Potion. They stepped off the stone staircase at the top and Professor McGonagall rapped on the door. It opened silently. They entered. Professor McGonagall told Harry to wait and left him there, alone. Harry looked around. One thing was certain. 
Of all the teachers' offices Harry had visited so far this year, Dumbledore's was by far the most interesting. If he hadn't been scared out of his wits that he was about to be thrown out of school, he would have been very pleased to have a chance to look around it. It was a large and beautiful circular room, full of funny little noises. A number of curious silver instruments stood on spindle-legged tables, whirring and emitting little puffs of smoke. The walls were covered with portraits of old headmasters and headmistresses, all of whom were snoozing gently in their frames. There was also an enormous claw-footed desk, and sitting on a shelf behind it, a shabby, tattered wizard's hat, the sorting hat. Harry hesitated. He cast a wary eye around the sleeping witches and wizards on the walls. Surely it couldn't hurt if he just took the hat down and tried it on again? Just to see. Just to make sure it had put him in the right house. He walked quietly around the desk, lifted the hat from its shelf, and lowered it slowly onto his head. It was much too large and slipped down over his eyes, just as it had done the last time he'd put it on. Harry stared at the black inside of the hat, waiting. Then, a small voice said in his ear, Be in your bonnet, Harry Potter. Er, yes, Harry muttered. Er, sorry to bother you, I wanted to ask. You've been wondering whether I put you in the right house, said the hat smartly. Yes, you are particularly difficult to place. But I stand by what I said before. Harry's heart leapt. You would have done well in Slytherin. Harry's stomach plummeted. He grabbed the point of the hat and pulled it off. It hung limply in his hand, grubby and faded. Harry pushed it back onto its shelf, feeling sick. You're wrong, he said aloud to the still and silent hat. It didn't move. Harry backed away, watching it. Then a strange, gagging noise behind him made him wheel around. He wasn't alone after all. Standing on a golden perch behind the door was a decrepit-looking bird that resembled a half-plucked turkey. Harry stared at it, and the bird looked balefully back, making its gagging noise again. Harry thought it looked very ill. Its eyes were dull, and even as Harry watched, a couple more feathers fell out of his tail. Harry was just thinking that all he needed was for Dumbledore's pet bird to die while he was alone in the office with it, when the bird burst into flames. Harry yelled in shock and backed away from the desk. He looked feverishly around in case there was a glass of water or something, but couldn't see one. The bird, meanwhile, had become a fireball. It gave one loud shriek. And next second, there is nothing but a smoldering pile of ash on the floor. The office door opened. Dumbledore came in, looking very somber. Professor, Harry gasped. Your bird! I couldn't do anything! He just caught fire! To Harry's astonishment, Dumbledore smiled. About time, too, he said. He's been looking dreadful for days. I've been telling him to get a move on. He chuckled at the stunned look on Harry's face. Fox is a phoenix, Harry. Phoenix burst in the flame when it's time for them to die and are reborn from the ashes. Watch him. Harry looked down in time to see a tiny, wrinkled, newborn bird 
poke its head out of the ashes. It was quite as ugly as the old one. It's a shame you had to see him on a burning day, said Dumbledore, seating himself behind his desk. He's really very handsome most of the time. Wonderful red and gold plumage. Fascinating creatures, Phoenixes. They can carry immensely heavy loads. Their tears have healing powers. They make highly faithful pets. In the shock of Fox catching fire, Harry had forgotten what he was there for. But it all came back to him as Dumbledore settled himself in the high chair behind the desk and fixed Harry with his penetrating light blue stare. Before Dumbledore could speak another word, however, the door of the office flew open with an almighty bang and Hagrid burst in a wild look in his eyes. His balaclava perched on top of his shaggy black head and the dead rooster still swinging from his hand. It wasn't Harry, Professor Dumbledore, said Hagrid urgently. I was talking to him seconds before that kid was found. He never had the time, sir. Dumbledore tried to say something. But Hagrid went ranting on, waving the rooster around in his agitation, sending feathers everywhere. It can't have been him. I'll swear it in front of the Ministry of Magic if I have to. Hagrid, I... You've got the wrong boy, sir. I know Harry never. Hagrid, said Dumbledore loudly. I do not think Harry attacked those people. Oh, said Hagrid, the rooster falling limply at his side. Right. I'll wait outside then, headmaster. I think that's a good place to stop. Good. Hagrid's so sweet. 